Hello, and welcome to this property podcast from EG. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. We're talking today about well-being and mental health in the workplace, and the role of company leaders in creating a culture of compassion and leading by example. Over the next 35 minutes, you'll hear from Judith Everett, Executive Director for Purpose, Sustainability and Stakeholder at the Crown Estate, Davina Goodchild, Chief Executive at Lionheart, and Guy Harrington, Chief Executive of Glenhawk. The conversation starts with a look at how their companies have tackled the well-being challenges faced by teams. But then our guests get personal, and you'll also hear about their own experiences, their own struggles, and how those have helped to shape their work as leaders and as managers. These are open, vulnerable stories, and our guests are honest and upfront about how they've tackled their own challenges. As Davina says, we can say when we're not okay. We can share with each other. I was hoping we could start with some reflection on the events of the past two years. And maybe if we could take each of your businesses in turn, how does the issue of well-being factor into the company culture, but also how has that changed or, or maybe been reinforced during the pandemic? Judith, could I ask you to pick that one up first? Well-being has always been an important part of the culture. People have been have been really encouraged to look at well-being, especially physical well-being. So whether it's what we have, you know, what we what we have available through our cafe for those who are based in the London office, encouraging people to take breaks, all those things. But it was very very focused on physical well-being. I think it's fair to say um, we'd begun to talk about mental well-being um, the year before the pandemic, and that had grabbed that had grabbed a huge amount of attention. We, we were really surprised at the level of uptake and how much interest there was and how valuable people found it to come and hear people share their own stories from outside the company, because we tended to bring in people from outside the company. Um, but with the pandemic, it really accelerated absolutely everything, well-being on, on every level. And quite quickly, when we went into lockdown, we initiated weekly town halls and well-being became a really big focus and really making it clear to everybody that their well-being and the well-being of their family and those who relied on them, whether it was friends or family, recognising that everybody has slightly different personal situations, that that had to be first priority. And we spent a lot of effort as a leadership team really emphasising that, which was a challenge because at the same time, the business was clearly facing a lot of challenges and huge unknowns as we as we went into that first phase of lockdown. So, yeah, well-being has just gone rocketing up the agenda um, during the during the pandemic, and I think in a in a really positive way because it's well being physically and mentally, and I think it's really um, forced forced us to be much more open with each other, which I think that it's created that intensity and the shared experience of of everybody having to cope with a really difficult environment um, has forced us to be more has forced us to be more open in a positive way. Davina, at Lionheart, your colleagues, of course, uh, are, are dealing with these issues in terms of the calls that are coming in and and um, and reflecting what's happening within the industry. What has been changing within the company over that time? Uh, well, so when the first lockdown um, hit, obviously we were we all work from home, but um, we were already kind of a couple, um, working from home a couple of days a week, most of us. So we were we were well set up for that, um, and we also. Um, we're quite focused because of because of what we do we are quite focused as an organization on 
employee well-being as well as the well-being of the people we help so you know we did things like we we had a group of people would go for lunchtime walks together we made sure that we talked about well-being at away days we have wait away days a couple of times a year when everyone gets together and does something relaxing so we kind of had a focus on well-being anyway but what we noticed when when people were working from home it was much more difficult to do because when you're in an office together, you can see each other. You can see if somebody's not not so great. You can tell there's a kind of a chemistry of being together, which isn't that easy to replicate online. So I'd say that we um we just had to work really hard and be really proactive about it. Whereas before it was quite a natural thing for us, so we would have those conversations quite naturally. We had to kind of create these these um avenues for those conversations to happen and these um things where it was um. We were encouraging staff to get together regularly um, so we have a coffee catch up we're still doing it um, every day there's a just a coffee break that's in there that anyone can join and it's just a, a in there as a regular meeting in your diary and if you can join it you, you do and if you can't you, you don't have to um, we've done a couple of other things like so we've had our we've still had away days but obviously they weren't away they were kind of away but sat at, at home <laughs> um, and we did things like we had some laughter therapy we've done sort of um not desk yoga but desk exercises so um to kind of stretch at your desk and and do that kind of thing so it's um, about your well-being at your desk and we also started doing regular surveys of staff that was something we didn't do before because we were always always talking to each other all the time so we could we could gauge the kind of how people were feeling and, and um what they were thinking and talking about but obviously when everyone's working from home and they're isolated we weren't able to do that so we introduced these regular surveys which we have mapped the well-being of the staff team um, over time um, and last February we sent out a survey and, and we just spotted that people's well-being kind of dipped a bit I think there was there was Christmas and then after Christmas there was still a lockdown and it just people just kind of went a bit down mm. so we we um, introduced an opportunity for everybody to see each other outside so we kind of had small groups meeting each other outside just to kind of um, gave them some time to meet up and that helped with people's well-being so we just had to think outside the box a little bit and kind of try and introduce things that would work online rather than in an office and guy finance obviously a high pressured area to be working in so there were of course existing stresses and challenges for your team members and then a pandemic comes along and, and, and simply adds to that yeah so I think during the pandemic, what it did, just to add on to Judith's point there, on um, how it accelerated well-being in the workplace. And when my biggest worry was that when everybody's remote, uh, when COVID first hit in March 2020, was the communication would uh, go downhill. And I'm all for video calls now, I wasn't initially, but it's hard to get the sentiment and the feeling of what someone's going through over a video call or a phone call. Sometimes you just need to be in person and listen to their concerns and their thoughts. And I think for us, we, particularly with having quite a, a young workforce, uh, a lot of our team uh, were either uh, in apartments in East London and they were on a high floor and they might not have had outside space or they lived on their own or in a flat share. Um, it was really hard hearing some of their, their stories of what they were going through and not just uh, because they couldn't really go out much or, or see people, but the other restrictions as well. So the no socialising, they couldn't see the family, uh, maybe some of their family became ill. And for me, it really became um, a massive uh, goal to really just try and help everybody in their personal lives as much as we could. 
whether it was down to, to helping them relocate because they needed to for outside space and we helped them with removal costs or uh, help them personally with furniture or, or various bits and pieces. But a, a lot of positivity has come from it that we can see in our space that working from home in a finance role does work. Uh, as I say, initially, I didn't think it would for a cultural perspective. And here we're huge on it. We have baking events, quiz events, poker nights. I mean, we're doing something all the time in this office. It's more like a social hub than, a, than an office, um, which is exactly what we wanted. And um, the pandemic pretty much slowed that down. So to get that going again um, now for us is fantastic. But as I say, it was a case of sitting down or on video chats with the team, even five minutes uh, every few weeks with each person, which takes up quite a significant time. But for me, people's mental health and well-being was so important. And for us, as I say, a lot of positives came from it. We decided to implement unlimited uh, holidays for the team, which went down well. And bizarrely, people take less holiday when you give them unlimited holidays, but I'm not really sure how that works. But the, the, the flexibilities there, the availability of mental health services for the team uh, was put front and centre. So obviously we have private health care for everybody, but really it was right. Give me a call if you really want to talk about anything. And I've been in some interesting situations and I'm happy to help you and I'll, I'll do my best to understand and try and help you work it out. Um, and then many other things. So, yeah, we had the virtual team events. But as I say, now we're back to uh, being in person with some flexibility. So it might be flexible childcare, flexible leaving early, um, you know, flexible with if they're going to come into the office on this day. So, yeah, we've learned a lot, accelerated our, our well-being. And ultimately, we've become a much better business uh, out of this, uh, probably far earlier than we would have naturally gone to anyway. So, yeah, some some negatives, some positives, but ultimately it's um, it's in a good place now for us. It's busted a lot of myths about people not being able to do things. I think the fact that yeah. we all had to work remotely, it wasn't to the teams that were most comfortable with it, that, but that everybody had to work remotely, that re debunked that idea that you can't perform successfully with people working remotely. But it also brought home that that flexibility you talked about, Guy, is really important, that there isn't a one-size-fits-all, because... The point about people living in accommodation that wasn't conducive to working remotely, the fact that some people need the social stimulation of being with with others, I certainly fall into that category. But that, and so keeping our office open as much as we were able to, whenever the restrictions moved to should work from home, we made sure that the office was open for those people for whom it was a really important lifeline in terms of working conditions or the need to be with other colleagues even if it was a you know, very socially distanced way that that I got so many notes from people saying thanks very much for opening the office again we were all very clear about that the fact it had to be if you needed to be in for either well-being reasons or for customer reasons so it wasn't to open the floodgates to everybody um, but there was a it was there was a core of people who really wanted to be back in and it was important for their health their well-being um, and it's just good to be able to do that but I think one of our biggest things was it actually made us much more connected as a company. So Davina, your comment about, I get what you mean about proximity. That's really such an important touch point and visual cue of just, and the spontaneity of having those conversations. But even though we're not a very large in terms of people or locations business, having a weekly town hall on Zoom with our chief exec, where people were able to ask questions anonymously on absolutely anything and have reinforced over and over again, 
your well-being is important, see things were being brought in to support that, but also be able to ask absolutely anything and see Dan, who's our chief exec, answer it and not duck difficult questions and be quite you know, firm about things that we couldn't do, but, but equally be open about. It created, that, it created a really open culture, which has been hugely important for us and remains to this day um, a, a sort of a fixed count. We've got more people participating in it now in terms of who speaks, but it was just a really important thing that we wouldn't have done if we'd been coming into the office every day. We'd have been carrying on with our traditional pieces. Something else you touched on, Judith, just before we, we started recording was uh, the well-being champions that you have within the company. And I was interested in your thoughts on on what kind of investments in training you found the most beneficial in terms of trying to make sure that leaders across the business, whether that's right at the very top or, or within other senior management positions, have got the kind of skills and support that they need to make sure that, that their own reports are, are being looked after at this time. Yeah, so the Wellbeing's Champions started probably about two years before lockdown, and that was really to create a, a network of people who, at all levels of seniority, who were representing their bits of the business, but had a personal passion for well-being. And um, they they were funded with a very modest budget. Um, they would have had more if they, they asked for it, but it was really about getting that network together and having them come up with ideas, whether it was speakers or training. Um, so one of the first things they brought up was uh, mental health first aider training, which was a really valuable tool. I took part in the first, it's a two-day session, and we had such a high level of uptake. And it, and it was it was quite salutary in that you spend the first half of the of this, of this session talking about, you know, what do you do to spot suicide, potential suicide, and how do you deal with that? And that that's obviously, you know, it's really salutary. It's, it's obvious when you look at the statistics, but it's just really important about not only spotting signs, but being able to signpost people to to where help can be made available and then being able to, to to give them the confidence to speak to colleagues confidentially, but also they can know that they'll be they can be referenced on to, to other more um, more trained trained resource. So I think for me that that network being at a whole range of seniorities was really important because it meant that our mental health first aiders were at a whole range of seniorities, that leaders supported by taking part in the training where they where they wanted to. But that actually we had a real cross section of people. And that was also something that applied during lockdown because people started to put buddying systems in place within their teams. And we used the Wellbeing Champions Network to share what was working well. So very quickly, the teams mobilized into doing weekly quizzes at a smaller level. So you've got the it doesn't become a huge, big exercise. And it was really that that um, culture of just seeing what good ideas were working and sharing that and just letting things bloom. And then the leadership team actively reaching out to staff and phoning up and just just for a chat um, and doing that um, all the way through. So the Wellbeing Champions group almost came into their own within lo within lockdown, but they triggered off a whole lot of other people being champions in their own way. And I think that I think that's really empowering. I mean, it sounds really patronised and say it, I wince as I as I say it. But what I felt it did was really empower people to take charge. And I think having agency is a really big part of all our well-being. Um, feeling that we've got something that we can influence and COVID brought that home into even sharper relief than, than ever. You know, whatever you could do to, to make an impact um, and feel involved was really, really a lifeline. You mentioned the budget that that initiative was set up with. Is there a myth to be bust here around the kind of investment that needs to be made? Do you, might it be that some companies think this is that this will need a larger amount of money than they're able to commit when in actual fact it may not, this doesn't need to be expensive to address as an issue within your workplace. Yeah, I'll answer it really quickly and then hand over to, to, to Davina because they've obviously done done a lot as well. But the, 
Um, definitely does not cost a lot of money to to fund this sort of activity. It's much more the signal and the support and that it being seen as important. And if you do have people who are stepping up to lead groups, to initiate activity, making sure that they feel it's valued and that you're not sort of looking at your watch and going off to do a walking meeting again with your network. I mean, that's just like completely crass behavior. And we don't we don't have that. And I think that's it's just being supportive as leaders that this activity needs to be owned by people and and driven and then if it does need budget yeah finding it but it doesn't have to be a large budget things like private health are slightly different but i, I think even then the equation most companies will do will it gives you gives you a support blanket for your staff that is actually allows you to be more effective and them to be more effective but um that's obviously individual companies decisions but yeah well-being in general walking meetings bake-offs things like that are it's time more than anything else but the return is is far outweighs the the resource you put in and um Davina you you were talking about the surveys of staff that you've done Mm -hmm. is that the most effective way you found to track the success of uh, of initiatives how else do we how else do we judge as leaders uh, how well the the initiatives that we've put in place around well-being are um are working well i think i think sometimes it's about counting how many people turn up it's as simple as that sometimes even if 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 something's optional and you get a whole bunch of people there that you weren't expecting that's telling you that that thing is popular and successful and people want it so that's just a simple head count and also what kinds of people are are there it, are leaders there as well as as well as everybody else in the organization so that's one measure of success um i think there's a statistic i think it's 55 percent of sick days i don't know where this came from um i'd need to check but i think it's something like 50 percent 50 to 55 percent of sick days were due to uh, or are due to um depression anxiety stress that kind of thing but actually most people aren't aren't saying that that's mm. why they're off sick so you'll get, you know, I had a virus or whatever else it was. So I think one of the things would be to monitor how many people are actually telling you I've had a day off because I've been stressed. That's a measure of success, I think, that people feel happy and confident when they fill in their form, whatever that form may be, that they tell you, oh, yes, it was it was sick leave. Um, and if those go up, that's not a bad sign. That's a good sign because people are feeling that they can tell you that, whereas before perhaps you had just as many but people didn't feel confident to say that. Um, so I think some of the signs that, that organisations might have thought were bad are actually good signs because, you know, it's, the conversation has opened up massively. People feel, I think, a bit more empowered to talk about it. Um, I think before um, organisations might be forgiven for thinking, well, nobody's talking about mental health or well-being, so we don't have a problem with it. But actually that silence um, is is masking the fact that there is well every organization has to think about well-being every organization that involves people must think about um those people's well-being including their mental health so to say i can remember having conversations with the corporates not that long ago a few years ago where it would be you would talk about i would talk about all of the resources that lionheart could bring so we could you know we could provide some training um for people around mental health and and you would get this kind of well we don't have any problems like that here (laughs) and i and i think well how would you know yeah because you're not having the conversation you just need to have the conversation you know you just need to to lead um by example really and, and open it up like Judy says um just just open that conversation yeah. up and make it feel comfortable for people 
Yeah. It was really telling when we had um, the first of our sort of library sessions on people coming in to talk about their own serious mental, like really big mental health issues and being very open about it and the level of uptake we had. And there were people in those sessions that I'd never seen come along to any of our, our sessions on other topics before. And I just thought, yeah, that this is touching a nerve. This is people who are super busy in very responsible. Well, everybody has everybody's busy, but these are people in jobs that just never would normally make time for those events. Um, and it was it was telling. I think you're right. It just, and I think that sickness, we definitely don't get many reports of still. And I think that is something that we should it'd be good for us to challenge ourselves to, to get people to disclose, not for any re repercussions, but just to talk about if it's an anxiety, if it's a mental health day, then put it down as a day you felt an anxious and couldn't come in. We, I think the trans transparency point that you both make is, is, is so key and especially since I've been so open about my struggles um, someone will come and sit with me and go our oh, guy today really didn't feel like getting out of bed and coming to work and, I'll, and I'd say well I felt like that the other day and some days I get that and they're, they're shocked they're like really like how like you don't show it and I'm like yeah I might not but some days I do feel like that and it's just making everybody realize that it's okay to have these up and down days it's okay to be confused it's okay to be anxious and it's encouraging people to talk about it and it really has helped us um, from that perspective so much so we put in think days as I call them which until we did unlimited holiday were two days a year you can book it in at any notice you take it off and I said you go and sit in a pub go to the beach go and do what you want go around the museum but at the end of it, send me a little note as to how you felt at the start of the day and how you felt at the end of the day. And the take it from that's been really great. And some of the things you get back are, are wonderful. You get a photo of them in the British Museum or the Royal Albert Hall. They've gone for a walk around. And really, it's just about the culture in any business comes from the top down. And if I'm open about it, everybody's going to be open about it. And it's easier said than done, especially in the finance sector when it can be quite macho and oh mental health like oh that's weak it's not it's yeah. we're all humans we all have well weaknesses and for me it's about championing that and i'm trying to do that internally on linkedin through the rest of the team uh, to say hey it's not okay to be okay that 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 great saying around mental health so we all do our small part i suppose Guy, was there, a, was there a journey for you to reach that point where you thought, I want to speak openly about the challenges that I've had and I want to perhaps buck back against a perception of the industry that you're working in where perhaps the CEO wouldn't sit with a colleague and talk about um, their own well-being? Yeah, you know, I think it was when I started meeting more and more senior people in, in the industry through funding meetings and uh, various equity raises that... I would have open and honest chats and say, I'd, I'd just say like, I'm quite inquisitive, ask questions. I'll say, well, do you have any days where you feel like rough? Like, do you ever like doubt what you're doing? Do you ever have anxiety? And most of the people I'd speak to would say, yes, I do. And these are like big names. I thought, wow, like uh, that's incredible. So aside from naming them on LinkedIn or, or, or saying who they were, I thought, wow, these are big people, like big top names of big businesses. And I thought, you know what, if they, accept it and i accept it then what's the problem with me being public about it and um having that transparency within the business that encourages people to come forward when they start to feel down or they don't want to come in and they call me and say guy i'm mentally i'm not right today and i'll have that chat and try and help them um but yeah i'd say it's all from the whole of society becoming more open to it and especially the finance space and these days to attract the best people into your business mental health and culture and well-being has to be right up there it's uh 
people see straight through it. If you're a, a business that forces your employees to come in at times like this, uh, gives no flexibility and don't champion well-being, then you're going to slip to the bottom of the list of um, enjoyable places to work. So it's a, it's a lose for the business and no business wants that. Davina, you and I have um, you and I have spoken about your experiences during the pandemic, and you, you've kindly said that you'd be you'd be happy to talk about them here and uh, the ways in which uh, the ways in which they shaped your attitude as a leader uh, to to this issue within the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a bit of an irony, you know. I work for Lionheart. We talk about well-being. We talk about mental health all the time. Um, but in 2020, um, in the summer, um, just I, I was under a lot of pressure. It wasn't work pressure. I absolutely love my job, and and it wasn't to do with work. It was it was my home um, circumstances and some things that had happened over the past couple of years, and something that I'd found out quite recently um, about a close family member um, just pulled the rug from under my feet, um, and um, I started to notice I just didn't feel quite right just felt weird I wasn't sleeping very well had these invasive thoughts couldn't focus in meetings I was really disconnected to what was happening almost as like I was watching what was happening through a window it was really odd confidence was really low and I just kind of let things happen at work things were going on and I was just kind of almost sitting back and watching like I was observing it um first time ever I was distracted by social media just constantly distracted by it and that is not um, I mean I'm not active social media user um probably should be in my position but I'm not and uh, so um it just just didn't feel right and I was in a meeting um I have two colleagues um Juliet and Jane um and I was in a meeting with them and they just could tell something wasn't quite right and said we think maybe you need to go to the doctor or talk to someone which I did um and the doctor said that I was burnt out and it was it was my home circumstances that that, that made that happen and I took quite a lot of time off um, and then I had a phased return and I didn't talk to anyone at all when I went back I went back um, around full time around Christmas um, and I didn't talk to anyone at work about it didn't apart from my two closest colleagues um, and I was quite closed off really um, and there were two reasons why really the first one was that I didn't want to um, be seen as attention seeking I didn't want everyone to think that I was going look I've had this problem and I'd like some attention please and I also didn't want to burden people because mm. I work with some really really um, very caring people and I knew that probably what they'd want to do would be to help and I thought if I if I tell people what's happened, they'll I either and probably not, but I, I worried that they would think I was like looking for attention or that they would think that I was needing some sort of help. And and I didn't because I was okay. But then on the fourth of February, we were having um a whole host of things going on for time to talk day. And I um got involved in a couple of those sessions, um, just listening to some of our volunteer ambassadors. And our volunteer ambassadors are um, our ICS professionals who've had mental health challenges and just listening to them talk about the relief of talking about what they'd experienced I just thought I felt like well I felt really incongruous and I felt like a bit of a hypocrite actually um, and I thought actually I really do want to tell people what I've, what I've been through and what I'm still going through because in January this year something else happened that had kind of rocked my boat a bit um, so um, 
I decided to tell the whole staff team. So I sent a, a whole staff email. I did think about talking about it, but I knew that I would just get very emotional and find it really difficult. So um, I sent an all staff email um, and the relief, honestly, the relief of being able to say I was ill. This is what I was ill with. This is how I felt. Um, I'm OK now, but, you know, I'm still going through some things. It was huge. It was a huge relief. And the response from the staff team, of course, of course it was. It was wonderful. Um, but there were a few emails from people who said, you know, I, I've, I've been going through this thing and I haven't felt I could talk about it. And the fact that you have has kind of signaled to everybody that we, we all can. We can all t say when we're not OK. We can share with each other when we're not OK. So it was yeah. it was incredibly powerful for me. And I think it was for other people as well, which was just great. So, yeah. It was um, it was kind of cathartic in a in a sort of strange way. Full kudos for um, uh, you know putting it out there and uh, uh, and sharing your story with everybody. That's a, a brilliant way to do it. And you're you're so right. Just talking about things makes life so much easier. And like you, I've had those times where you almost feel in a bubble. You feel like you're a ghost outside of your body. And you're like, this is not right. I should feel better than this. But just by talking to someone, suddenly the mind starts to unlock. And you're like, wow, actually, get all this out. Suddenly you start to answer your own problems and your own questions. And uh, talking to people is the best way to do it. And if, especially if you've got someone else in the business who may have, or we've had a, a couple who have, who have had help. And you can speak to them about it. And you can bounce off each other and support each other. And um, yeah, it makes everything better. So yeah, amazing story there. It yeah. felt a bit like there was an elephant in the room, but I only knew I was the only person who could see it. That's what it felt like. You know, that <laughs> feeling there's an elephant in the room and you're just waiting yeah. for the person to say, but nobody does. But I was the only one could see that elephant. I think it, I think it's such a it's really difficult as leaders because you you want to make you want to make things right. You want to um, be strong. You want to keep morale up and, and talk about sort of not not. To your point, actually, Davina, that you don't want to burden people with how you might be feeling about something. And I think I think it does become a bit of an elephant in the room. But it's really it is really difficult. I think certainly during the pandemic, you you wanted to keep people's spirits buoyed up. And um, and it was a difficult period for for everybody. So I think being that open and, and that vulnerable is, is really important. I find it really difficult because I'm not only the eldest child in a family of four where you sort of get to you've got to, you know, just got to be the one that keeps everybody going and be very, very responsible. I don't think I was. If you spoke to my family, they'd probably say I was pretty irresponsible as a teenager, but that's another story. But I think <laughs> that there is that piece of there is that piece of sort of being very buttoned up as a leader and, and making sure you've got everything under control. It's all um all under control. So I I definitely find it difficult to be vulnerable as a leader, but I'm really conscious of it. And I what I have to be conscious especially conscious of is that I will sometimes keep things very buttoned up inside but then my behavior starts to become really like I can become quite tetchy and um, not deal with stress well and I think I've, I've learned that I really need to step away from situations and and maybe for me there is a piece about being just open about things which would a to your point guy get it out there in the open get the pieces <laughs> moving but also um, give people a bit of insight into what's 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 on your own mind but I think it's I think it's a really important lesson for leaders to learn and to show that vulnerability um, and yeah, I think I think it's a it is it's a it's a big old lesson for us all. Judith, you you wrote um, an op-ed column for us almost exactly two years ago, in which you spoke there about the um, you know being conscious of how important it is to look after your own mental health. I mean, during um 
during the challenges of the last couple of years, what kind of practices have you found that found the most helpful just in, yeah. in, in making sure that um, that you're looking after yourself as well as as well as teams and colleagues? Yeah, so my my mental health definitely suffered during the pandemic um, because of being because of not being good at creating time to do things other than work. So uh, too much programming of time. So I have really actively tried to make time to do other things. Like when the when things like galleries opened again, make sure that I got there. But to do to do because I love going to art. I love going to music. Um, but also taking time out every day to go for a walk. We have a dog, so I was able to do that even at the most extreme parts of lockdown. Um, but I, I go, and I've never admitted this publicly, so maybe it's a bit of a rash thing to say on a on a on a podcast, which is going to be heard forever. But I go to a therapist every every week, and I I started going two weeks two years ago. I thought oh, a couple of months and I'll be done. It'll it'll all be fine. But actually, I find it really really valuable just to um, to go and talk to them. She's a proper psychodynamic therapist. It's it's quite painful at times it feels like I'm going around in circles at times but there are still things that upset me when I've got that hour with with them that I think actually this I need to unpack this more and I need to understand myself more so that's been a really important part of my own self um, self-knowledge and then I think the bit that I haven't been terribly good at doing is I know physical well-being physical health makes me feel a lot better and I think I've definitely um and I said to my team, I wouldn't talk about menopause because I'm at the age where I feel embarrassed talking about it. But I think there's definitely something around being at an age where I don't do as much physical exercise as I need to for my own mental health well-being. So I think there's a piece there for me to note to self is I do, I do need to be making time to do that because I just know it makes me feel a hell of a lot better. Um, so, yeah, so it's a bit of a mixture of um, I, I, I really, yeah, it doesn't work for everybody, but for me, therapy's been really important, but it's an ongoing journey. I, I, you know, every few months, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to sit down and say, I'm going to stop this. And then we go into a different topic. And I think, oh, yeah, OK, there's a bit more to learn here. <laughs> <laughs> but haven't we, le- haven't we learned that about well-being in, in sort of totality over these years? There isn't there isn't necessarily an end point. It's, it's yeah. continuously shifting. It's life's work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but that's the frustrating thing about it. it. It never ends. And for me, when I have a project in life, a work project, it's start, middle, end. And that's yeah. it. It's done. It's wrapped up. It's We're a journey. It's so task so. driven. It's like, yeah, I've got to get, yeah. get us an outcome Ex- on this. Oh, exactly. And yeah, and it, you, as you rightly say, Judy, and thought kudos for opening up about that. It, but talking to someone in therapy is, is, is incredible. And it has seen in the past that, oh, they're in therapy. Oh, it's a weakness. But reality is it's not. Like, we're so complex. The human mind we barely even understand. And you have an hour with someone unlocking your brain and asking you questions and challenging yourself. Afterwards, you know, feelings like euphoric, like, wow, mm-hmm. I've, I've felt great here. And it's the same if you take a brisk walk and like when I'm, oh, we've got Soho right on our doorstep here. And if it gets a bit too much in here, I go for a wander around Soho, look at the bizarre yeah. sights, get some fresh air, stretch the legs and then come back and you're in a better place. But uh, yeah, it's an ongoing project that never finishes. Yeah. So <laughs> frustrating. Indeed. I, I was going to ask you each for a, a closing thought here. When, when you think of the wellbeing agenda as leaders within your businesses, when we look ahead, what's your biggest priority as we head into 2022. Um, Davina, could I ask Gosh. you first? Increasing the flexibility, but making sure that we're, we're, if you think of everything on a scale, so people who love working from home, people who don't love working from home, people who um, need to be part-time, people who need to be full-time, but you know, all of that on a scale, that's a huge challenge is to find a way of working with everybody and making it suit everybody. That I think that's um, 
because you you kind of you quite often you'll you'll find the common denominator and that will fit the people in the middle but not the, the people on the end so that for me that's the biggest challenge I think is to try and figure out a way forward that is going to work for everyone. Guy how about you? Uh, I suppose there's a few priorities really. Um, take the lessons we've learned from during Covid and continue to accelerate our our well-being um, whether it's in more in-person events, more competitive fun events in the office um, and really attract people into the business um, by showing we really care about our team and tough times do come but they rarely ever last and um, we're a great place not only to incubate your career uh, but also your well-being and uh, we want to look after you. So. Really, for me, it's getting that narrative out there, continuing what we're doing now and being even more open, as we've all been on this call, um, about um, mental health, which is a huge part of well-being. Um, so for me, it's, yeah, continue doing what we're doing, try and do even more as restrictions continue to lift and more people come back into town and, uh, yeah, and uh, see where we end up in a, in a few years' time. And Judith, over to you for some final thoughts. So I, I think, and I'd agree with what Davina and Guy have said, but I'd, and I'd add to it sort of leading by example. So really making sure that it's very visibly um, something that well-being that all of us as leaders, myself including, support and do. So it's not just talking to that being an important thing, but visibly doing it, visibly making the time, and then creating an environment where it's it's really part of our fabric and our culture. That it's not a, it's not a token. It's it's core to how we do business. And I think we've made really good inroads. We've learned a lot during the pandemic, got a real intent to do it. And it's just keeping it very current. Um, but I think the biggest thing is leading by example. Well, I'm so grateful to all of you for, for making time for this conversation today and for being so open in, in what we've discussed. As as Guy says, this is an, an ongoing project and I'm I'm certain one that we will be we will continue to be speaking about. But Davina, Guy and Judith. For now, thank you. Thank you so much for making time to be with EG today. And thank you for listening to this EG podcast. For more well-being and mental health coverage from EG, you can head to our dedicated hub at egi.co.uk forward slash mental dash health.